So here we are in the second, the middle message in our series, Never Alone. And we're looking at how through history, in fact, right from before when time began through to eternity, God is with us. And Felix spoke to us last week about how we were created to know him, about creation, about God's intentions and plans and how it all went wrong. And we saw last week, didn't we, Bex's beautiful artwork. And you'll see tonight there is another one ready to be revealed, telling the story of the things that we're going to be talking about this evening. And next week, Louise is going to be sharing with us about how mankind gets to have a restored relationship with God through Jesus, coming as a baby with a purpose that changes everything. But tonight, we're thinking about creation. We thought about creation. We're going to think about Christmas They're both amazing stories, aren't they, of God with us. But what happens in between? There's a massive chunk of time in between these two events. We don't know how long. It's thousands of years. Where was God then? Had he given up on mankind? Was he sulking because we'd spoiled his plans? No, of course not. What happens in the in-between is the story of the Old Testament And I guess if we asked people about maybe their favorite books, their favorite passages of the Bible, we might see a pattern. In fact, in a recent survey, the books of John and Luke and Romans came out as people's favorites. Not many people were choosing Lamentations or Leviticus or Chronicles. And sometimes these Old Testament books can feel a little bit overwhelming. Maybe we're just not quite sure how it all ties together. What has it got to do with us or even with Jesus? So this evening... We're going to take some time together to have a look at the story of the people of Israel through the Old Testament. We're going to be taking a very high-level look because there's a lot in there. And if we went through it all, we'd be here till next Christmas. But we're going to look at how it fits together. And we're going to drop in on some significant (coughs) events and people. You might think, well, what's all this for? I didn't come to church for a history lesson. How is this relevant to me? How is it relevant to my life? I wonder if you know who this guy is. Anybody know who that is? Yeah, it's Josh Widdicombe. So a few years ago, Josh took part in a program in the show, Who Do You Think You Are? I don't know whether you've seen it, but it's a show where famous people get help from all kinds of experts, and they trace their past, and they trace their ancestry. Um, And incredibly, Josh found out that he was a direct descendant of King Henry VIII. I don't know who was more surprised, him or the researchers who'd found it out. It was amazing. But through that research, through looking into his past, He found out more about himself, more about his story, and his identity. And if we believe in God, then the story of the Old Testament is our story. It's our heritage, it's our history. It's where we can discover more about our identity as children of the living God. And we might not always understand how it relates to us exactly, but there is power in knowing the Word of God and in understanding the story that we are a part of. So yeah, we are going to look into a bit of history this evening, but hopefully we'll see that it is really relevant to our present. The Old Testament is an incredible story. It's full of drama. We've got exciting escapes, epic battles, there's heroes, there's villains, there's betrayals, there's conquests, there's awesome highs, and the deepest of lows. But ultimately, it's the story of God and his people. How throughout history, God never left them. The Old Testament tells the story of God's promise and of hope in the in-between. So, let's get going, shall we? We know that after the fall, mankind had to leave the Garden of Eden. 
It looks like it's all gone wrong. They've been separated from God. But we start to see that God is still at work. There's a man. We would know him mainly as Abraham, but at this time he would be called Abram. God makes Abram an incredible promise. He says this, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and I will make your name great. We call this a covenant. A covenant is a solemn promise. It's a binding agreement. They're used in law to formally agree things. The marriage relationship is a covenanting relationship. It's more than just saying you'll do something. It's tying yourself to that promise, whatever happens. And so God makes this covenant with Abraham. He promises that he will be the father of a great nation. He promises a land of their own and blessing. And this promise is the start of it all. And we need to notice that it starts with God. It's God who takes action. It's God who steps towards mankind, even after all their failings. And it's this covenant that sets into motion this whole story of God's sovereignty and his love. So Abraham traveled to the new land, Canaan, and despite being over 80, his wife Sarah gives birth to Isaac. And this covenant relationship continues through Isaac. In Genesis 26, God says, I'll be with you and I'll bless you. For to you and your descendants, I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father, Abraham. Again, it's that same promise. I will be with you. And Isaac has two sons. Their names are Jacob and Esau. And it's with Jacob that God reaffirms this covenant in Genesis chapter 28. And God gives Jacob the name Israel. So Jacob, or Israel, as he is now known, has 12 sons. And it's from these 12 sons that the 12 tribes of Israel came. You might know the names Reuben, Levi, Benjamin. You might be able to complete that list. And these tribes grow and they multiply. And that promise that God gave to Abraham that you will be the father of a great nation starts to become reality. And ultimately, because of a famine in their homeland, Canaan, the tribes, the families of Israel, move to Egypt, where there's food and there's help. And we read that amazing story of Joseph and his amazing technicolor dream coat. They don't call it that in the Bible, but you might know the story. That's where it fits in. So the Israelites settle in Egypt. And they grow and they multiply and they become more numerous. But the Pharaoh starts to become a bit worried. Because he's concerned that there's so many of these descendants many of them, and that these descendants of Jacob could cause him a problem. They might threaten his leadership. So he orders all of the people of Israel to be taken into slavery, and they end up working as slaves for the Egyptians. We might question, well, why? God says they were his special people. How can God promise a special future for people and then allow them to be slaves? Have he forgotten the plan? No, of course not. And yeah, times were hard, but God was still in control and God raises up a leader for the people, Moses. Born at a time when the Pharaoh was still trying to contain the number of Israelites and had ordered the death of all the baby boys. Moses escapes and he's brought up in the palace of the Pharaoh. But he is an Israelite at heart and when he sees an Israelite slave being beaten by their Egyptian master, he steps in and he kills the Egyptian. And then Moses is driven away by his own people, 
into the desert. And he lives there as a shepherd. He gets married, he has children. He's there for 40 years until God steps in. He's ready for the next part of the plan. And one day Moses is out, he's minding his own business, he's looking after the sheep, and he has an encounter with God that changes everything for him and also for the people of Israel. God meets and he speaks with Moses through the burning bush. It's on fire, but it's not being consumed. And the voice of God comes to Moses. He says, take off your sandals, for you're standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Again, that reference to the covenant, that reminder to Moses that God has not abandoned them. He was working out his plans and his promises throughout the generations. And God says this, now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people out of Egypt. And there's a little bit of toing and froing between God and Moses as to whether this is actually going to happen or not, but he goes and he stands before the power of the Pharaoh. And we read of the struggle to release the slaves, how God sent plague upon plague on Egypt until eventually the Pharaoh can't take it anymore and he commands them, just get out, just go. God was with Moses as he led the people of Israel out and on their way towards the land that was promised to them in the covenant. God parts the Red Sea. He shows them which way to go with a pillar of smoke during the day, a pillar of fire at night. And you know, we read these things sometimes as kids' stories. We sing the songs, but when we actually think about it, this is mind-blowing. It was a pillar of fire. And Moses had some of the most real and incredible experiences with God that have ever been recorded. Exodus 33 tells us about this tent of meeting, where it says that the Lord spoke to Moses face to face, just like a man speaks to his friend, just like you would speak to your friend, somebody next to you, your partner. God was with his people. They experienced the presence and the provision of God as they traveled. But when they get to the promised land, there's a problem. Because God's told them that he will give them the land, it was part of that covenant promise. But they get there and they see the cities and they see the size of the people. And they're too afraid to even try. They don't believe the promise that God has given them. So God says, well, if you don't trust me for that, if you don't believe what I've said, then you can't have the land yet. So instead of making a short trip to the promised land, the people are left in the wilderness for 40 years. A whole generation passes before they get to try again. And again, God's plan is still in place, but the people certainly aren't making things easy for themselves. And ultimately, Moses dies in the desert and he makes way for Joshua the next leader of the people of Israel. And as Joshua takes over, there is a task ahead to finally take the land. What does God say to Joshua? He says, no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I will be with you as I was with Moses. Again, I will be with you. So they finally entered the land and God gave them victory after victory over the people there. They defeated huge armies, they saw miracles. Again, another simple song that we sing about the Battle of Jericho, don't we? I won't try and sing it. Uh, when the armies march around the walls seven times, they blow the trumpets and the walls fall down. The people were victorious against all the odds. Why? Because God was with them. God was with Joshua. He was continuing to work out his plans for his people. So they're there finally, blessed with a land of their own to settle in and to grow as a nation. 
released from slavery, chosen by God. Sounds amazing, doesn't it? But unfortunately, the story doesn't end there because even in the land, the people are struggling. They were meant to be holy. They were meant to be God's own people. But they don't get it right. God had instructed them to defeat those who were living there, to clear the land completely. But that hadn't happened. God himself was meant to be their king. They weren't supposed to need an earthly human king. But in 1 Samuel 8, we find the people demanding a king of their own. We want to be like the nations around us. Our king will judge us and lead us into battle. That's what they say. It's the absolute opposite of what God had wanted for them. But they go on and on, and eventually God says, okay, do as they say and give them a king. So they got Saul, and then they got David, who we first meet as a boy. On that day when the Philistine armies line up to take on the Israelites, and their main man, Goliath, challenges the army of Israel. And we read that David asked the men standing near him, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of God? Again, referring to the fact that Goliath wasn't part of this covenant relationship. That circumcision was a sign of the covenant, that they were God's own people. Goliath was not one of God's own people. God was not with him. So the boy takes on the giant and he wins. And sometimes, I think in the stories, maybe when we read this, we're kind of led to believe that David had practiced so hard with his sling, so much out in the fields with the sheep when he was younger, and he was such a great shot that he managed to defeat the giant. That might be partly true, but he wins because God was with him. A boy doesn't defeat a giant without the power of God. And this boy grows up to be a mighty king, ruling with the power of God. He was a man after God's own heart. And after King David, there's Solomon. But then things go downhill because there came a whole line of kings who, according to the Bible, did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And they led God's people away from God. The Israelites were on a downward spiral of evil and idol worship. In 1 Kings 18, we read of a king who the Bible says did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. And that's quite an achievement because they could think of some terrible things to do, and they did them. King Ahab, he's a murderer. He built a temple to Baal. He deliberately and publicly denounces the God of Israel. And he finally comes up against Elijah. You might know some of the story. That competition between Elijah and the prophets of Baal, who can call down fire onto their altar? And the prophets of Baal are going mad, they're screaming, they're cutting themselves, they're trying to get an answer from their God, but of course nothing is happening because their God isn't real. He's not there. So up steps Elijah, full of the presence of God, and he calls on the name of the Lord. This is his prayer. He says, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel. Again, that reference to God's covenant, that declaration of God's faithfulness throughout the generations. And down comes the fire. So much fire, it consumes the stones of the altar. Wow. But even this doesn't seem to be enough when Elijah is forced into the wilderness. We heard the story this morning, didn't we? How Ahab's wife, Jezebel, is determined to kill him. And again, we think, where is God in all this? 
How is he allowing his people to make such a mess of things? Is he still even there? I think we've asked that question enough times this evening to know the answer is, of course, yes. But you know, we're not the only people asking that question. Because at this point, Elijah is hiding in a cave, which sounds like quite a good idea to me when you're being pursued by people who are trying to kill you. But God finds him. And he says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah says, and I imagine him saying it in a bit of a sulky voice, I am fed up with these people. They don't listen. They tear down the altars of the Lord and they dishonor you. And God tells Elijah to go outside the cave. And we read of the wind and the earthquake and the fire. And God isn't in any of those. But then Elijah hears the low whisper of the voice of the Lord. And God tells Elijah the next part of the plan and what he is to do now. God was with Elijah, working out his plans to bring his people back. And as well as Elijah, God sent many other prophets. He was still fighting for them. As Isaiah, Jeremiah, Amos, Hosea, Habakkuk, they all came from God with the same message. Come back, turn from what you're doing. But no one listens, and finally, it's gone too far. And in 2 Chronicles 36, we read of the fall of Jerusalem. The Lord, the God of their ancestors, sent word to them through his messengers again and again. They've been given so many chances. And finally, we read in verse 17, they mocked God's messengers, despised his words and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people and there was no remedy. Judgment was coming. And it was coming in the form of the Babylonians who destroyed Jerusalem and the people, God's people, were taken into exile in Babylon. And again, I guess this is another point in the story where we might question, is God still in control? This might sound harsh. I don't like this story. What is God up to? What has happened to the plan and the covenant? But even in judgment, there is hope. Even in exile, there is promise. A promise that this is temporary and they would go home and a remnant would return. And after 70 years, God uses the pagan king Cyrus to send people home. Despite mankind's best efforts, God was still with them, keeping that covenant of growth and land and blessing. I wonder if you recognize this picture. I think we were all horrified, weren't we, when we woke up to the news that this famous tree had been cut down in the night. Just a mindless act of vandalism, totally incomprehensible. But over the coming days, we started, didn't we, to hear the story that maybe there was a chance that this stump could produce shoots once again, that it could regrow. It would take a really long time, but there could one day be a sycamore tree in the gap again. Hope can come from disaster. And with God, there is always hope. There was hope for the return to Jerusalem, yeah. But there's a bigger hope that is promised for the people of Israel and for all people. Prophet Isaiah says, out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. Isaiah also says this. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Jesus was coming. God was bringing an eternal solution. The Messiah who would come and bring restoration for all people who would signal the start of a new covenant. Wow. It's quite a story, isn't it? Don't let anyone ever tell you the Bible is boring. Lord of the Rings has got nothing on this. 
In fact, some literary experts will tell you that some of the um, themes and ideas in Lord of the Rings were inspired by the Bible. The story of the Old Testament is amazing. It is not just a series of random books of laws and lists. It is the full narrative of the people of God. And perhaps as we sit here this evening, we might think, quite a dramatic story, quite an extreme process, but what does an old story of a wayward people's journey really have to do with me here today? Well, actually, the answer is everything, because this is our heritage as people of God. If we believe in God, then this is our story. And you know, it's not finished. This story, this timeline is ongoing, and we all have a place in it. We're not an accidental dot in space and time. We are a child of the creator. God's plan and his promise from before time began, right through to eternity, includes you. History is so valuable, isn't it? We learn lessons and understand culture. We find out about who we are and where we fit in the world. The story of the in-between, the story of the Old Testament is no different. Yes, it's history, but yes, we learn so much from it of our own identity, but also of the nature of God and what that can mean for us here in 2023. Let's go back to Hebrews 11. We've traced this timeline of faithful people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Joshua, David, Elijah. There are so many more that we haven't had time to talk about this evening. Hebrews 11 also includes Enoch, Sarah, Rahab, Gideon. They had incredible trust in God, and their faithfulness led to amazing things. But ultimately, this is not a story about people being faithful. It's the story of a God who was always there. It's the story of a God who stepped towards mankind with a plan and a promise. The story of a God who never left people alone. We say hindsight is a wonderful thing, don't we? And it is. We've recently done a little bit of um, DIY in our house. I say we, I mean Dan. My role is mainly supervisory, um, but we have laid some tiles in the porch, uh, and they're great. They look really smooth. They're all nicely finished. Dan's done all the grouting. It's quite impressive. The only thing we hadn't taken into account is that we now have a dog, and the tiles are cream. So you can imagine how they look most of the time. If I was doing that again, I would definitely choose a darker color or just not have a dog. But I wouldn't have oh, horrified looks from my family. <laughs> How often do we look back on things and think, if only I'd known? Well, we do. You might remember a certain prime minister calling his opposition leader Captain Hindsight. It was not meant as a compliment. But we can all be Captain Hindsight here tonight. We can look back on this story and learn so much of the nature of God from the truth that it tells. I'm sure there must have been times when the people of Israel couldn't work out what was going on. When even these great heroes of the faith that we've talked about were wondering, where on earth is God? Yet we can look back over the whole story and see God at work. What do we see? We see God is love. This whole story is because God loved people too much to give up on them. We see that he is faithful. He made a covenant with Abraham thousands of years ago, and he keeps every single promise he made. That he never leaves his people. In fact, the Bible says, he who watches over Israel never slumbers or sleeps. The story tells us of the past, 
but it speaks right into our present and it assures us of our future. The Old Testament beautifully illustrates the nature of God and that never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. He's the Alpha and the Omega. The God who was with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and David and Elijah is our God. The God who never left his people all through history is our God. All that faithfulness, all that power, that's our God today, here. The Bible tells us that the Red Sea parted, cities fell down, a boy defeated a giant, there was a pillar of fire. So many of these stories that we've read are familiar. Maybe we learned them in Sunday school, maybe we sang the songs, we colored the pictures, and I wonder if maybe somehow these stories have got a bit familiar, even a bit small in our minds. There's nothing small about any of these stories. Each of them is the story of the massive power of our God. The story of a God with a purpose and a promise. The story of a God who was faithful to his people. The past is the past, but the truth lasts forever. Everything that was true for them is true for us here today and into our futures. God is love. God is faithful. He never leaves us alone. And his power is available to us here and now. We've been reading this verse where Jesus says, the time has come when you will all be scattered. Each of you will go your own way, leaving me alone. Yet I am never alone, for the Father is always with me. Yeah, we might be by ourselves. We might be lonely. We might be overwhelmed by the things that we've got going on in our lives or the things that we see happening in our world. But if we believe in the God of the Bible, then we are never alone, whatever we are facing. And we can believe that for our circumstances, our health, our families, everything. And it's really important to remember that God is there for the big things, the pillars of fire moments, the part in the sea moments. But maybe you feel like your life is quite normal right now. Most of your days are okay. In fact, some days are a bit mundane. You're just getting on with the business of life. There's work, there's kids, there's home, there's family. Maybe you're not in a season of life where you feel like you need the seas to be parted. So where's God then? Well, he's right there with you, right there in the everyday and in the normal. Do you know, Moses spent 40 years in the wilderness, getting married, working, bringing up the kids, but God was no less present with him then than he was in the big moments that we've read about. The Old Testament tells us that God is with us for all of it. Whatever is going on, we are never alone. And as we approach Christmas, do we need to take what this story teaches us and refocus ourselves on God and who he is and what he promises us? Isaiah gives this promise to the people of Israel in 400 B.C., but it's for all people. It's for us. It says this, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah also says this child will be called Emmanuel, God with us. Emmanuel. 
We say it so often at Christmas, we sing it, we see it on Christmas cards, but I wonder if we find it easy to make it personal. We've read of Moses and Joshua and Elijah, all that power, all those miracles, it's clear that God was with them. And maybe it can be easy to think of Emmanuel, God with us as a church, or God with my friends, God with my home group. But can we apply it to ourselves tonight? Can you say, God with me? Yes, the past matters. God is the God of the Old Testament. But he is Emmanuel. He is God with me. And that isn't just true for people who are dead now or other people. It's for you. And it's for now. And I wonder if the band had come up just as we ask a question tonight. I wonder who you need Jesus to be for you tonight. Who do you need Emmanuel, God with me, to be for you this evening? I wonder if you're facing decisions and maybe you're just not quite sure what to do. Jesus is a wonderful counselor. He knows. He has a beautiful plan for your life. And he would love you to ask him. He's a mighty God. Whatever you're facing, you're not alone. Circumstances can seem massive, but our God is greater. We've read, haven't we, that he parted the Red Sea. He defeated the giant. He sent fire from heaven. That's our God. And that's the God who wants to come and to intervene for you and be part of your life and help you with your struggle. What about an everlasting father? A real father, a good one. One who wants to draw you close and protect you and tell you that he loves you. Is that something that you need to hear tonight? That you're loved by a father who will never leave you. That you're precious. Or maybe in a world of war, approaching what can be a really busy time of the year, do you need Jesus to be your Prince of Peace? To bring that calm, to bring that peace that passes understanding into your situation? We all face stuff we can't deal with. We don't understand it. Sometimes we never will. But we can trust our Father and we can ask Him for peace in the midst of pain. He might not take the pain away. We wish He would. But He can bring peace. I don't expect there are many people here who don't need at least one of those things. I think I need them all. God can do all this and more. The past tells the truth for today. He did it for Moses. He did it for Elijah and for Joshua and for David, and he can do it for you. God is with you. And we need to believe that, we need to claim it, we need to live in it. The Old Testament is the story of power and promise and a plan. But it's there for a purpose that is higher than just a narrative. It's there to show us the love and the faithfulness of God that is for us and for here and for now. We're not an accident, we're not a dot in space and time. We're part of God's story. That means that we are never alone. I'm going to take some time in worship this evening just to ask God to come and to be whatever it is we need Him to be this evening. To ask God to be God with me. And maybe one of those things we've talked about this evening really hits you. You think, yeah, I need that Prince of Peace tonight. I need that Everlasting Father tonight. Maybe there's certain situations you know you need to claim that God with me for. 
Or maybe you just want to sit and breathe it in and take joy in who Jesus is. Take joy in all that he offers you. Hold it. Breathe it in. Worship him. We'll take some time to do that now. Thanks, Hannah.